Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a special edition of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. I have missed all of you. I've missed being here in studio. And um, I was jumped at the opportunity to help an old friend of mine, one of my dearest friends, one of my old partners, Brandon Stone, out with a school project. So this is going to be a little different than what we normally do in that, obviously, this is not live. You'll be seeing this after the fact. But this is something where I have a specific set of questions that I have to ask Brandon and I have to, uh, in order to, to get this going, and I kind of facilitate his way through just through this project. So without further ado, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hey, everybody. Dean, thanks so much for uh, having me, and thanks so much for helping me out. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to accomplish this uh, this project undertaking than Supply the Y. All right, brother. Well, I, we, we, we appreciate having you on. We know you're a longtime supporter, and um, so it's, it's, it's great to have you finally on. So right. let's jump right into it. All right. So talk to me about concepts of enforcing uh, of law enforcement versus the concept of policing, because it is two different things. Exactly. Um, I really think that it's one is a fraction of the other. If it was going to be the third grade, you know, what is a piece of a pie? I think that law enforcement is, you know, the fraction of the police pie. You know, policing, I think, is actually more of the term and then law enforcement is a slice out of you know something within that okay so explain that to the lay person so i'm i'm somebody who lives in in what we would call in police we call living in the bubble that okay. bubble of bliss so you remember back before you and i were police officers we lived nice in that place. bubble of bliss yeah. where you didn't really see how, how how dark and ugly the world could be yeah. so if you're explaining this to somebody who lives in that bubble of bliss yeah. how would you sum that up for them Great. Actually, it's a good way of putting it. Um, so I, I think that oftentimes people discuss our career field as you're in law enforcement, which is interesting because it's, you know, what percent of your job is actually enforcing laws as opposed to what part of your career is community undertaking, community caretaking. Um, you know, you, you wear a million different hats, you know, and it's almost... You know, so then when you refer to the career field as policing, you know, I, I almost feel like nowadays, especially that has a worse connotation than saying law enforcement, which is bizarre because it has like the police, you know, word in it, where in fact, I really do think that when people say law enforcement, I think that they're really trying to say is, you know, the policing profession and then enforcing those laws is kind of a piece of it. Okay, that's a that's a great way of looking at it. All right, so question number two. If you could kind of sum up the historical roots of the police in America and the direct effect that the, on the relationship between the police in, in the community here in America. So just talk to me a little bit about that and how that's progressed over the years and where we are today. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, controversial question at that as well, somewhat. Um, you know, I'm sure that there are some very strong feelings on both sides on that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nobody likes the idea of being policed, right? Nobody, nobody does. It right. doesn't matter who you are. Um, and I think, you know, historically, you know, sticking with just the United States versus globally, it, you know, the history of police, you know, it started out here completely different than where we are right now. I mean, not even in the same realm of conversation. But so I talk me through that a little bit. Talk me through the evolution. Yeah, so I, I think that 
the historical roots really go back to the foundation of what police were and what were they supposed to do? What did they do? And then where did that go from there? And then how did we arrive today where we are? And I think that the simple answer to that is society evolved, technology evolved, the world evolved, industry evolved, everything revolved and got larger. And then the profession also got larger to meet that same you know, progression, where I think that the relationship with the community uh, really was affected was obviously throughout time, the police have not been perfect. And there's been problems that damaged and fractured the community's trust in the police. And that's something that's incredibly difficult to get back. And, you know, whether that's law enforcement corruption throughout the time, uh, you know, racism that occurred in law enforcement during certain periods of time in the United States, long periods of civil disorder, riots, protests. You know, there was a lot of problems with law enforcement's relationship with the community, historically speaking, which was somewhat new versus the foundation of law enforcement in the United States. It didn't necessarily start out that way, but the turbulence was led in that direction, you know, through what, whether it's global politics, national politics, um, society on a smaller level, state to state, community to community. Um, but where we are here today, I feel that it's been very cyclical. Like we've been in this position before as a, as an industry. And I think what we're realizing now is the relationship with policing and the community, it really does have to start with the policing. It has to start within the industry because there is a degree of trust that has to get built back. And it's kind of a, we need to show, or the industry needs to show its hand first. You All know, right, so go ahead, keep going. Nobody's going to have their hands outstretched waiting for it. You, you know, there's a proving factor to that, I think. And, you know, that's just my opinion of where I think we are community-based with the police. But I think that there's definitely a proving factor given what's been our relationship with the community as a whole historically. So here's my second part to that question is yeah. you brought that up about, about the proving factor, the proving ground. What can we do to prove ourselves to community? Give us some suggestions as to how we can bring things back to at least a point where um, we're, we're having amicable relationships with the community as police. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's such a complicated question, but I think that if, it you, is. Stick to, if you stick to maybe a, a couple, and I'm certainly not the authority on it by any means, but if you, if you stick to maybe a couple of real just basic principles of, of human beings and human nature, a lot of it comes from that. You know, people want to be heard. People want to feel important. People want to feel appreciated. People want to feel like their opinion matters. And I think that that's a really big part of our industry right now is if you have communities that don't think that their opinion or words matter and that they're just simply living in somebody else's you know, monopoly game, mm -hmm. you're going to have problems because, you know, that's, that's now going to turn into people feeling very marginalized and rightfully so. If you don't feel like you're being heard or it's important or your concerns aren't being met because they're not important, you're going to have problems. So I think that what we need to do to, to at least steer the ship somewhat back in the other direction is I think that we need to bring you know, and it's difficult, and I understand that there's many moving pieces to that, but I think that we need to bring policing 
which is funny because that was kind of the first thing we talked about the law enforcement versus policing thing. We need to bring policing back to a place where it's, you know, if you look historically way back, it was, you know, people knew officer, Oh, it's officer Jenkins. Oh, it's officer. So-and-so it's a, there was a personalized level to it. You know, it's, it is a service based industry. You know, we are public servants and, you know, I think not that, people within the profession need to like know their role and go back to thinking that, you know, do what you're told as, as police. But I think that people need to dial it back and understand that there needs to be a genuine appreciation for the community in which that you serve. There needs to be a genuine understanding of the community in which you serve. And, you know, communities can vary in terms of economics, demographics, you name it, it can change. But just because one area is not being policed doesn't mean that it doesn't need police. Well, can it be one-sided? Because your solution sounds as if it like this could be solved just based on one side of the equation making all the effort. Is no, that I, I, it's 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 for sure a two-way street because there needs to be a mutual respect. So what can the community do? So you talked a little bit about what some of the things the police can do. What 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 do you think the community needs to do, or the or a given community would need to do? Yeah, I think that, I mean, somewhat obvious, but it's not if you're members of the community that feel like you're in a grieved community is there needs to be somewhat of an understanding that there have been problems, no doubt about it. There's been turbulence, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But in order to move forward, there needs to be some type of, you know, stalemate breaker of, okay, well, we're going to have a mutual respect here. We're going to have a mutual understanding. You know, you trust me, I trust you. Then we can have a conversation, which, I mean, look at the name of your ship. Difficult conversations, supply the why. I think that both sides of this need to supply the why. Why do we feel this way? Why are we here? But if you don't have those conversations because you're not allowing it because of just, nope, I'm shutting down to that community or nope, I'm shutting down to law enforcement or policing as a whole, it's not going to go anywhere. And let's be honest with each other, this, you know, with the reform and everything that goes along with that, it's not realistic to believe that the police are going to go away. It's just not. And it's not realistic at the same time to think that it's going to stay the same. So if we're already at that point, I feel like it's probably a really good juncture to have a conversation. Okay, so just to make sure uh, that I'm understanding you properly, the key to this is the community not only being willing to hear in, uh, the police when we come and make all those proactive steps that you talked about, but they have to be equally proactive in telling their side of the story Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And would you agree that both sides have to, have to also have the uh, intestinal fortitude and the moral courage to listen, even if it's something that they may not want to yes. hear, but they both need to listen to gain an understanding of the other side? Without a doubt. And I mean, I don't know if anybody could have said it better than intestinal fortitude, because that is really, I mean, if you, if you really break it down, I mean, it's, you need to be able to, whether you understand it or not, or like it or not, you need to be able to at least hear it out. I mean, hell, even, you know, you talk about neighbor disputes within neighborhoods of a community, they can even hear each other out. So if people are able to do that anyway, then we need to make that on a larger scale. 
I, I, I mean, I think that that's the only way forward. All right. Well, again, you know, we're going to keep this rolling. Yeah, and while sure. we're on the spirit of, of, of larger scales and reforms, talk to me a little bit about, about police reform. Do you think that it, the police need – I mean, we know that you and I have had many personal conversations, so we know that we can't stay the same. There has to be some change. Yep. Like policing, just like any other industry, has to change with the times in order to stay relevant. I absolutely agree. So we're not going to talk about whether or not we need some level of reform, some level of change, because because you know any reasonable person knows that we do have to adjust to what's going on. Right. But to what point do we need to change? For example, do we need to make it more education based, like you know, like what you're doing now in pursuit of your degree? Do we need to mandate that? Do we need to mandate uh, more different kinds of training uh, mm-hmm. for for people? Is is or do we just need to revamp the whole the whole hiring process? I mean, to be honest with you, I think that you just nailed the components of it. But the thing that I think makes it very difficult as a profession for people to have the intestinal fortitude to understand the word reform is an interesting word. It's been used so many times in different ways. You know, you look back in history and there was reformatory schools that, you know, troubled youths would have to go to. There's kind of a negative connotation with that. Nobody was like, hey, I'm really excited to go back to reformatory school. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says it's police reform, it's like you're kind of already like kicking sand in somebody's face saying like, you know, it's kind of synonymous with the lesser a little bit, you, you know, that you're you need to be reformed. You know, if it was more of a, you know, um, police modernization, um, police progression, something or another, it just has a better sound to it where I think all parties involved understand what it means. But to your point. Specifically, I'm looking for specifics as to what could be done. Yeah. Or what you think needs to be done. I think that you nailed it. I think that the actual training that we're doing now, though we have different classes within, you know, basic recruit officer courses, we've moved classes and now there's all kinds of different classes that weren't there 10, 15, 20 years ago. The, the training methodology is somewhat still the same that it's been for a long time. And, you know, while there are all these schools of thoughts where some people get really up in arms about, you know, too soft of training or versus too high of training. Where is that happy medium? Where is that line? I think that training is a huge aspect of this. You know, the fact that there's there's parts of this country that have eight week police academies and then there's parts of this country that have 30 week police academies and then anywhere in between. I think that you're going to have a much different product with an eight week program versus a 26 to 30 week program. It's just math. It's just how many hours you're going to spend doing something. You know, so whether it's the duration of that, absolutely. But where I think that that meets another one of your points is the hiring process. You can go across 50 states and have completely different hiring processes. Some states have polygraphs. Some states do not. Some states require higher education. Some states do not. There's so many different categories within the hiring process that I think need to be streamlined on a national level. You know, if you look at some other countries, the way that they hire their police, it's more college based. You know, they don't call them police academies. They call them police colleges or, 
you know, um, in Europe that you have to go to school for three years, four years to be a police officer. And that's your actual training regiment, not your university. And, you know, I think that that is certainly something that maybe the United States is going to have to look into eventually. Um, you know, especially when you talk about post post has been around for a very, very long time. Post is not new. Um, you know, California has had post for decades. And and really quick for those that are that are watching that don't know what you mean by post, we're not talking about the serial folks. We're talking about. Um, can you just tell us what that is? That acronym? Yeah, post. Um, for lack of better words, post is a level of standardization for police training. So I believe it is peace officers standards and training. Correct. Okay. You know, you travel around the country and not everyone's a police officer, they're a peace officer. So it's a standardized level of certification for those that are in the policing field. And that comes with a litany of standards that you have to fall into underneath that. And it's a, also a governing body of that. So there's a post governing body of that policing. All right. So we're getting down to it on time. I know that you're busy and I know that you are, uh, you're visiting family. So let's round up with this last question, which is technology based. So to, uh, like, again, in the spirit of closing this out, discuss policing in the age of super technology. What do you think of it? How can it help? And in some cases, how does it hurt? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny if you look at this whole thing from a really zoomed out lens, right? Just, from the beginning of our discussion tonight to now where we are. And it's funny that it led from, you know, we're at a history moment to now, because if you look back at, you know, books and movies from the seventies and eighties, they were a little bit right in terms of where we are technologically, where we are sociologically, you know, so when you start asking a question like that with technology, you know, people automatically start thinking like, you know, George Orwell, you know, big brother, and then, you know, you look at a movie like The Minority Report. We're really not too far off of the swiping of screens and zooming in and out of things. But people, citizens, community members have such huge concerns about the First Amendment, uh, due process, um, you know, their rights to privacy. And it's understandable to a degree. But I think that there's arguments else to be made that the use of some of these technologies makes policing more accurate. You're getting better intelligence. So it's going to lead to less mistakes. So we're talking positives now. So let's, let's, I, I let's, think it's a, I think so. So give me some positives. So, so less, so less mistakes. I think what it, else? the propensity for less mistakes, higher mm -hmm. accuracy of information, whether it's procedural, you know, moving forward in court cases or not. Um, you know, if you look back over some serious incidents within the country, where would we have been without the data mining capabilities, the vast video surveillance capabilities, it would have been almost impossible to solve a lot of really important crimes. And when you look at some of the things that really plague the country uh, in terms of criminality, you know, whether it's human exploitation, crimes against women and children, a lot of those are technologically based crimes that require the police to have the ability to, to work their way through that, let alone, I mean, leave financial crimes out. I and mean, that's a whole different pail of worms technologically, but I think a lot of people, when they start looking in terms of the negatives of this, start thinking about the big brother always watching with cameras. When in reality, you know, you have to assume that most of your day, you're probably on some camera, whether you want to be or not. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, the data mining aspects of it make people uncomfortable. 
you know, the, uh, the Snowden leaks, I think scared the, the heck out of people. People are still putting scotch tape over their, you know, uh, computers. Um, but I, but so, I think, so just to be clear, are we on to negatives now or are we still talking positives? I think they meet in the middle. I, I think that every time you come up with a positive, I think it's met with its equal negative, to be honest with you. Okay. So just to be clear for those that are watching, yep. let's give some clear cut negatives, th things that are just on the negative side. Perceived negative um, would be the invasion of privacy. People feel that their privacy is being violated. They're being watched when they don't want to be watched, be it a drone or a pole camera or whatever it is, or audio listening devices. People don't want to be listened to. Those are clear, definite negatives. Um, facial recognition, right? Massachusetts alone has communities that ban facial recognition technology. Yeah, a lot of people are, are feeling some kind of way about that. Yep. And you know what? I don't know how you feel about it. Um, it doesn't bother me. Law enforcement aside, it doesn't bother me. That's just me. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some people that really, really against that. Uh, GPS tracking, huge, huge controversies around GPS tracking, uh, be it federal agencies or local state agencies utilizing, you know, GPS transponders or any kind of tracking people don't want to be tracked people don't want to feel like they're being tracked and i understand that to a degree as well because there has to be a vetting process for law enforcement to be able to utilize that technology anyway so i don't know if the answer is better transparency on what hoops law enforcement has to go to okay to to, to get that maybe people need to understand and to realize that it's not hitting a button and then you get to look and listen to whatever you want because obviously as you know i mean we've been doing this Long enough, that is just simply not the case. No, it's definitely not the case. Um, certainly not at our level. Right. Let's, you know, I yeah. can't speak for all levels of law enforcement, yep. but certainly not um at any level that I that I've worked at in right. my in my time. Right. Um, but these are all these are all this is a good list of some negatives and some positives. I I, I like to your point, um, I put you on the spot a little bit, but yes, a lot of these are intertwined. It's kind of you know, idea. it's it's just like in science. <laughs> it's like in science for every action is a reaction right yeah no doubt so so for every positive that we might see as a positive someone's going to see as a negative and yeah. vice versa you brought up um children be, children and women being exploited and, and and i assume you meant like the sex trafficking trade absolutely so so yes as technology's made it easier for us to maybe solve some of those technology is what's also made some of those that industry thrive no doubt because now they use technology in order to uh, conduct their business. Yep. So I mean, if, you, if you wanted to bring it and make an equivalency to something, obviously it's very different in a stretch, but just in terms of being able to view two things differently, but in a similar way as well, look at the, the medicine, having medicine not progress technologically would have strong implications on where we are medically right now. Mm -hmm. You know, sure. you look at, a knee surgery 40 years ago, big surgery, big lung scars, terrible, very invasive. Knee surgery right now, you're walking out the same day, you're walking effectively the same week, and you recuperated within, yeah, you, you and the knee. Yeah. Um, you know, you're I may know something about faster. that. Mm -hmm. You know, or whether it's invasive surgery into your body cavity, now it's laparoscopically done or orthoscopically done, and they have cameras going and zip zip, it's done, laser beam that. Law enforcement's effectively doing the same thing as progressing with the times, meeting the fact that technology technology is working against law enforcement with technology. 
So it's effectively utilizing tools in the tool belt to meet the current times, no different than the medical field. It's a great answer. And like, like we said, unfortunately, we could do this all day, but we're, we're, we're getting up on time. Yep. Um, any potting shots, Brandon, anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, you know, I, I, I appreciate you uh, working with me here. I appreciate being on your show. It's uh, immensely helpful. And um, thank you for putting me on the spot. That's always been what you like to do going back it a is. long time. It is. It, um, it's the downside of being friends with somebody like me. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, every, Everything has a, its ups and downs. But uh, no, it's been great. I appreciate it. It's, it's thought-provoking stuff. And you know what? If I was going to leave with one, one potting word is even going back to you and I a long, long time, difficult conversations are okay to have. It's fine. You don't even have to agree. It costs nothing to listen. And I think that we, people just need to have the intestinal fortitude to let's just keep that going. Just have the conversation and be open to it. You don't have to like it or, or agree, but just at least listen. And go I ahead and use that. that. Let's spread let's spread that intestinal fortitude, moral courage uh, message out there. Hashtag intestinal fortitude. Ooh, I like that. That could happen. Right? Well, so, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Wrap up. No, that's it, man. I just, uh, I appreciate it. Well, folks, we're up on time here. Uh, thank you. Hopefully that you, you, you know, those of you, those of you that are listening, longtime listeners, you get a little bit out of this and this makes you miss the live shows that'll be coming back in January. And if this is your first time catching us here on Difficult Conversations, check out um, the bottom of the screen. It tells you all the ways you can follow us. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. And we're on YouTube. And if you like podcasts, we're on all your major podcast platforms. And this episode will be there as well. So, again, click, follow, hashtag Supply the Why on all your favorite social media platforms. And we'll see you next time. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks. All right. Good night. Good night.